Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We're going to be in uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Uh, We could also read from Luke, chapter 18, but I think we'll just read from Mark, chapter 10. We're going to look at the encounter where Jesus welcomed the little children to Himself. Uh, And I'm preaching this from the perspective of those parents that brought those children to Jesus. Parenting is a joyous and a wonderful experience. Quite challenging at times. A number of weeks ago, my youngest son got a little small basketball uh, kind of stuck in our drain pipe that runs underneath our uh, driveway. And we had to push it out. We had to make it a long extended pole with broom handles and all that kind of stuff to push it out. A number of weeks after that event took place, he and his brother were outside. We had an event to go to, and they were throwing the basketball around. And unfortunately, my younger son got angry at my older son, and he threw the basketball kind of in anger, a little bigger basketball this time, and guess what it did? It went right down under that drain pipe and got stuck further up. And so we didn't know how exactly we were going to try to get it out because what we had tried before wasn't strong enough to push the basketball out. So my wife had this genius idea that she would go to our local Lowe's store and she would buy two plungers and she would buy some uh, PVC pipe and use those plungers kind of to function to push that basketball up that particular drain pipe. But because it was my younger son's anger, not just an accident that got that basketball stuck, she made him go with her to Lowe's to pick out the plungers and the PVC pipe. Sounds like a pretty typical parenting thing to do, right? She was a little frustrated. I was a little frustrated at the situation going on. So they got to Lowe's that that evening. I believe it was a Saturday evening, Friday or Saturday evening. And uh, they picked out the two of the cheapest plungers that they could find. My younger son is walking through Lowe's with a plunger in each hand, dancing, singing, plunger, 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 as a crowd is kind of gathering around him, watching him sing and hold plungers in the Lowe's store. And of course, what do boys do with plungers? He turned one upside down, or where it should be, and stuck it to the floor of Lowe's. And so he was standing there in the Lowe's store, trying to be worthy like Thor, pull that plunger off the ground, and it wouldn't budge. He batted it, he yanked it, he pulled on it. Finally, as a crowd had gathered around him, watching this take place, he kicked the base of the plunger, and it got unstuck. My wife, of course, is rolling in laughter. Thank goodness the, the plunger plan worked and they were able to push that basketball out un, from underneath that drain pipe. The only reason I tell you that story is because you as a parent or you as a grandparent probably have dozens, if not hundreds of stories that you can relate to with the children and the grandchildren that God has put under our charge to lead and to teach and to train. Parenting is a wonderful privilege, but it comes with it a very significant responsibility. In the text we're going to read, the parents, I have no idea how they dealt with discipline. I don't know how they dealt with situations when their children didn't obey or they had to problem solve, but they did one thing incredibly right. They got their children to Jesus. Read with me what happens in Mark chapter 10. And they, that is parents, they were bringing... 
that's in the imperfect tense, carrying with it the idea that this was probably a common practice that happened during Jesus' ministry. This probably wasn't an isolated incident. It was likely something that took place at more than one town, on more than one occasion, regularly in the ministry of Jesus. They were bringing children to Him, and He might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant. That means He was angry. And He said to them, Let the children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God... Like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let me give you the overarching truth that this text tells us. And then we'll unpack it with some applications for us as we walk through the the text. Jesus always welcomes those who come to him in need. I love that. I love that in this story, Jesus is welcoming the smallest and the neediest, and the most helpless. In fact, this text tells us, Jesus says, His own very lips, For to such children, for these, to these belong the the kingdom of God. Jesus is making a statement about what it means to know God and be in relationship with Himself. What, What is He talking about there? Is He talking about, and some have speculated over the years, that He's talking about the humility of children. Uh, that, that is what makes them uh, a, the, the members of the kingdom of God. Why? I'm, I don't think that's what he means. And here's why I don't think that's what he means. Because our, our children enter the world as little self-sovereigns. And, and you know the me monsters of the twos and the threes. I'm not sure that children in and of themselves carry with them humility that warrants them being in the kingdom of God. Some have speculated over the years, then is it childlike faith? Is it just the ability of children to simply trust in God? It could be, and certainly that is an appropriate application for all of us to hear, that our faith needs to be absolute and trusting in the Lord. But if you look in Luke's version in chapter 18, you'll discover that parents were bringing children as young as infants to Jesus. So it's not just the three-year-olds and the five-year-olds and the seven-year-olds that moms and dads are bringing to Jesus to bless and pray over. It's the littlest babies, the ones that are... Uh, not able to put their faith in anyone or anything, at least cognitively put their faith in anyone or anything. So I'm not sure that Jesus is saying that the category, the quality, is even the childlike faith that is expressed. I think what Jesus gets at, and B.B. Warfield uh, brings this up, the Princeton theologian of a bygone era, when Princeton still believed the Bible. Uh, they don't necessarily do that these days, but a hundred or so years ago they did. Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield suggests that what Jesus was talking about is the helplessness and the need of those that were brought to him. The quality that Jesus is reflecting here is the fact that the children, whether they were two, three, or whether they were two months old, they were in need and they came to Jesus and he welcomed them. And that has staggering implications for all of us with relation to the gospel. Warfield puts it this way, here is the urgency of the gospel. We are indeed helpless with nothing to contribute. We need a Savior. And the gospel invitation is just that. Come to Christ just as you are with your hands empty, stripped of everything, laying claim to nothing but His mercy. But here is also the great glory of the gospel. Although we are helpless, our great Savior is all sufficient. All by Himself. He gives us all that we need. So here is the first application. 
that we all need to grasp. This is for everyone in the room. Never stop realizing that you are spiritually helpless. We never get to a point where we are capable in and of our own ability and strength to make God happy, to please God enough, to make Him smile, to to cause Him to say to us, wow, you did a great job today. I'm going to accept you based on your efforts. No, what Jesus says here in the text is those that are a part of the kingdom of God are those who realize they are spiritually helpless. They, they are in need and they come simply to Him to experience blessing. I don't have time to unpack all of this this morning, but if you look back at other places in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, and Luke, Jesus refers to His disciples the ones that are actually the antagonists in the story. We'll talk about that in a minute. He refers to his disciples on a several occasions as his little ones. So what he's telling us, all of us, is we need to remember that we are spiritually helpless. The only way we get to experience salvation is when we realize Jesus alone has earned our salvation. The only way that we get to experience forgiveness is when we realize that Jesus alone died on the cross to pay for our forgiveness and we come to Him in need. Not with some kind of barter, not with some kind of uh, bargain and trying to to, to make God do what we want Him to do. No, we come to God helpless. And all of us need to realize this. The illustration here is that these parents were bringing their children to Jesus because... They knew their children needed Jesus. They were spiritually helpless. And Jesus used it as an overarching lesson for all Christians everywhere, for all hearers everywhere, that we need to realize we're spiritually helpless. We can't solve our own problems. We can't change our own sinfulness. We can't make someone like we want them to be. Moms and dads, this is a tremendously important point for all of us to realize. In leading up to this particular sermon, I read a book by uh, Paul David Tripp on parenting. It's not a how-to book on parenting. I've read some of those over the years and gotten lots of insights about how to parent and tips and strategies. What Paul Tripp does, though, in his book on parenting, he talks about gospel principles that can help change your, your home life and your family life. And what he reminds us in that book is that The same grace that your children need to be changed by God is the same grace that you need to become more like Christ and to parent your children as you ought to. See, I think some of us, and I'm guilty of this, and this is one of the things that God convicted me of in reading that book over the last several weeks. I'm guilty of trying to make my children good by the way that I discipline them and the way that I correct them. And I'm going to be honest with you, there are some times... That because they don't listen, they don't hear, they don't heed, they don't obey. My bent is to yell and to react in a way that tries to get their attention. I'm not going to ask any of you else in the room if you have been guilty of that in the past or are guilty of that today. Paul Tripp reminds us in that book that I can't change the hearts of my children. Only God can. Because they're spiritually helpless and I'm spiritually helpless and I need God to do a work in their lives just like I needed God to do a work in my life. And our responsibility as parents is not to make our kids good. I'll get to a little bit more of that in a moment. Our job as parents is to get our kids to God. So here's what I've done. We've ordered several copies of, those, of that book, Parenting. 
We have several available today. Uh, they probably won't last through all three of our services. So if you are a parent or a grandparent and would like a copy of that book, you can see Barbara Adams, our church secretary, when you leave. You can get a copy if you want to make a donation, help cover the cost. You can give us $10, but you do not have to give us any money to take that book home if you promise you'll read it. It's probably the most impactful book on parenting I've ever read, and I've read several over the years. It's changed how I've looked at my job as raising uh, kids, and it's changed how I have approached my children, and I hope it remains a change in my life because it reminds us that we need God to change a heart. Now, some of you are in the room, and you're thinking, man, there are some people that really need to hear this. There's a husband that needs to hear this. There's a wife that needs to hear this. There's a, my kids, my grown kids need to hear this. My, my grandchildren need to hear this. They need to be reminded that they need Jesus and they are helpless. Let me just remind you of this. The only person that can change someone's heart is God. Berating somebody, nagging somebody, begging somebody, buying somebody off, those things don't work. Only God can change a heart. The good news that that means for us is it takes us off the hook for trying to change people. Folks, you're not going to change your spouse. You're not going to change your children. You're not going to change your grandchildren. And some of you have some really serious burdens for children and grandchildren and those that have grown up and they're not where they ought to be and you're burdened for them. I just want to remind you, you can't change them. But God can. God can. That's why we need the second application of the text. Get your children and others to Jesus. The only person that can change someone is Jesus Himself. He's the only one that can fix a heart. He's the only one that can look inside the sinfulness of us, see us for who we really are, deal with us for who we really are, help us see our own sinfulness and our wickedness and our depravity. He's the only one that can do that. And then in doing that, He's the only one that can wash that away from us and cleanse us and forgive us because He indeed loves us, just like we sang. He's the only one that's capable of that. So the wisdom of this text is that I don't know what obstacles, other obstacles, these parents overcame to bring their children to Jesus on this particular occasion, but they had some incredible wisdom. They got their children to Jesus. They did the one thing that is absolutely necessary in, the life, in their life as a parent. They brought their kids to Jesus. I'm going to beg your forgiveness for a moment. I'm going to read an extended quote from Paul Tripp's book on parenting. Uh, but I want you to listen. I want you to do your best to hear it all. If you want to know where it is, I can show you in the book and I can point that quote out to you. But I want you to hear this. The capacity of the heart of our children to worship is meant to drive them to God. You can't allow yourself to separate your parenting from this truth. Your parenting must be shaped by the most radical thing that anyone could ever say to your children. Hear this. Your kids were made for God. They weren't just made for a good education, a good job, a good house, a good marriage, and good citizenship. These things have value, but they are not the reason your children have been given life and breath. And they must not be our ultimate goals as parents. Our children were made to find life, hope, identity, and meaning in God. They were made to surrender their will and their natural gifts to Him. They were created to stay willingly inside of God's boundaries. Many parents 
including me at times, unwittingly separate Christianity from everyday life as they parent their children. And in separating Christianity from daily life, they fail to make worship as important as it is. Hear this. Yes, they want their children to believe in God, to go to church and do what is right. But the primary focus of their parental energy is on producing children who are mannerly, do well at school, succeed in sports and music. So they try to control all of the behaviors that will get in the way of these goals. Because of this, they do not focus on the heart and what rules the heart. And because they fail to think about the heart, they miss those wonderful moments of grace where God is revealing the heart of the child so that His parents can be tools of rescue, leading our children to insight, confession, and repentance. They are left with trying to get their children to do what is right without addressing the heart. And in doing so, they fail to understand that if they could do that, Jesus would not have had to invade the earth on a mission of rescue. If I could make my children holy by the way that I parent them, they wouldn't need Jesus. But because they need Jesus, the most important thing I can do for my boys is to get them to Jesus. And sometimes what keeps us from getting our children to Jesus is the way we parent or the way we try to control them or the way we try to manage their lives and behaviors, the way we helicopter, the way we, the way we dictate, the way we give them freedom. Sometimes those things are the things that keep us from getting our children and our grandchildren to Jesus. But there are other things. In fact, some of the worst things that keep us from getting our children to Jesus are the idols that dwell within our own hearts. I know some parents, they, they want their children to be so successful. So they, they, get, they, they, they push them to academic excellence. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with having intelligent children who earn scholarships. And some, children, some parents want their children to be well-rounded, so they put them in music classes, and then they send them to sports, and then they encourage academics. And, and what they're doing, to some degree, is they're saying, these things are the things that matter more than anything else. And it's great if your child can play an instrument. I've got a son who can play an instrument. There's nothing wrong with having a musician. And there's nothing wrong with having your children as athletes. And there's nothing wrong with having your children that are academically intelligent and do well in school. But if we stop there and we think we've done our job when they're well-rounded, intelligent, going to get a scholarship, we've missed the whole thing. And here's why. Some of you are in this room that I've talked to over the years. And some of you young parents need to hear this. I've been here seven years now and I've talked to more than a handful of adults in the life of our church who now have adult children and some of whom have adult grandchildren or grandchildren moving into adulthood. And they have asked me to pray for them and pray for their children and pray for their grandchildren who have strayed from faith. And they've asked me and wondered what have they done wrong and how did they, how did they miss it and how did they mess up. And I'll tell you something, folks. I just want you to hear me for a second. Sometimes the reason your children stray is simply because they're sinners and they rebel against the holy God. And it is not your fault that they decide to live their lives another way. But sometimes the reason our children stray is because they watched us for the 20 years they were in our house have idols and put things in front of God and keep God at a distance. And what we didn't do was get our kids 
to Jesus. And so you know what they're doing? They're just mimicking the behavior that they saw. They're worshiping something else, someone else, just like they watched mom and dad do for the entirety of their parenting lives. Folks, some of us as parents, we can't get our kids to Jesus because our career's in the way. Some of us can't get our kids to Jesus because money is in the way. Some of us can't get our kids to Jesus because leisure is in the way. Some of us can't get our kids to Jesus because we want to take every weekend away to do every other thing besides worshiping God at church. And you know what you're teaching your kids when that is your pattern? You're teaching your kids that everything else comes before God. Don't be surprised one day when your kids are 19 and 20 and 25 and 35 and 45 if everything in life comes before God because that's what you taught them. These parents in the text did whatever they could to get their children to Jesus. And Jesus held them and touched them and blessed them. They weren't a distraction to Him. They were the very reason He came to earth. He cared about them and He loved them. Parents, Christians, above all else, get your friends, get your children to Jesus. And this applies to all of us, folks. If we're truly spiritually helpless, you know the only thing that will help anybody? It's to get them to Jesus. Uh, Beloved, I would love everyone who's a member at our church to be at our church regularly for worship. And I would love everybody you know that doesn't know Jesus to be here worshiping Jesus every single week. In fact, we're going to begin next Sunday with a worship series. Uh, revelation and response in biblical worship. We're going to do that for several several weeks looking at different texts of Scripture. It is tremendously important that as followers of Jesus, we worship God effectively and regularly and faithfully. But church attendance isn't the goal. Jesus is. If you get Jesus and He is ruling your heart, church attendance will come. Worship will come. Changed hearts and changed lives will come. It's getting people to Jesus. That's what matters. Moms and dads, that's what matters for your kids. Grandparents, it's what matters for you with your grandchildren. Get them to Jesus. Let me give you a third application point. This comes directly from the disciples. Don't stand in anyone's way of meeting Jesus. And the disciples missed it here. Um, They viewed the families and the children as a distraction. In their mind, they had this grand vision for what Jesus was supposed to be doing. He was supposed to be preaching to the masses, to the thousands. He was supposed to be instituting a new order where He was the Messiah, the the chosen one of God, the political leader who's going to overthrow Rome. That was their idea and vision. And they viewed the moms and the dads and the little ones and the infants as distractions. How do they help us? We need to be hobnobbing with the people with power and money and influence. And when they kept the families and the children from Jesus, Jesus got angry. There are only a handful of times we see Jesus angry in the New Testament. And all of them, or almost all of them, have to do with keeping people from truly worshiping God. The time in the temple where He threw out the money changers. The reason He was so angry about that is the money changers were in the place where the Gentiles could come and worship God. 
I mean, they were, they were dishonoring God by selling sacrifices and the way they were doing that. The primary focus there was the Gentiles couldn't go into the temple to worship God because the money changing, the selling was happening in the place that was reserved for Gentiles to worship God. Jesus got angry because the religious leaders were keeping people from God. He got angry at the disciples because they were keeping people from Him. Say, there's no way I keep people from Jesus. How do I do that? Well, listen, we, we tend to do that if we think people have to adhere to our standards before they meet Christ. I want to tell you something, folks. Jesus welcomes everybody, regardless of their political affiliation, regardless of their self-identification, regardless of their choices and behaviors in life. Jesus welcomes everybody. Now, He doesn't leave them that way. I want you to hear that very carefully. He doesn't leave people in their sin. He will convict them and cleanse them and forgive them and change them. But I want to tell you something, folks. Christian follower of Jesus, it is not our job to tell people that they need to get right before they meet Jesus. They need to meet Jesus so that He can make them right. If they're truly spiritually helpless... Changing their decision about a political issue is not going to change their heart. If they're truly helpless and need Jesus, changing their identity on something that, that, that they really are, are struggling with, it, they're not going to be able to do that. If they're really spiritually helpless, folks, they're not going to be able to make themselves look right and look holy to meet God. Because none of us, when we come to meet God, have cleaned our lives up sufficiently. None of us, when we come to meet God, have solved our spiritual issues. None of us, when we come to meet God, are where we need to be. That's why we come to meet Jesus, because we need Him to make us right with Himself. I want to tell you something. As a Christian, you and I should be interacting with people whose behaviors, whose political values whose identity and choices in life make us feel uncomfortable. Here's why. Because they need Jesus. They don't need to believe like we do. Jesus didn't come to be a Republican Savior or a Democrat Savior. Jesus did not come to make people look like the folks who live in Wilkes County. Jesus came to save people where they were, where they are. And what He wants from us as Christians, hear this, He doesn't want us to stand in the way of anybody coming to Him. He doesn't want us to create barriers that keep people from Him. So you know what I want? I would love for people to come to Wilkesboro Baptist Church and attend worship here that make you and I feel a little uncomfortable. Because that's who Jesus spent time with. Now certainly before they would join our church in membership and before they would join our church through baptism, they would need to confess their sins and repent and become a follower of Christ. Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you something. How in the world do we expect people to do that if they don't hear the gospel? So guess what? They need to be welcome here because Jesus welcomes them. Jesus is the one that is responsible to change their hearts and change their lives. Don't stand in anyone's way of meeting Jesus. Sometimes that means we may have to go out of our way to help people meet Jesus. We've got a family in our church that has done just this. In fact, I mentioned in our, in our prayer time earlier, we have several families in our church who have, over the years have fostered or have adopted, have worked with the Department of Social Services, worked with Ebenezer Christian Children's Home. And I'm so grateful for that. That's who we need to be as followers of Christ. One of those couples in our church family is uh, Zach and Laura Royal. And uh, earlier this year, actually, Vacation Bible School, their older, oldest son, uh, Ricky, 
who's my youngest son's age, he's eight, uh, he came to vacation Bible school and he'd been talking to mom and dad about questions uh, about Jesus and about the gospel, talking to them for several weeks, really almost a year, had been having questions and conversations. And that night at vacation Bible school, uh, when we presented the gospel, he looked at his dad at the end of the night and he said, I want to go talk to Pastor Chris now. I want to make sure that I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he took initiative because God was at work in his heart. In fact, we baptized him uh, in July. Uh, And just exciting what God did in his life to bring him to faith in Jesus. But Zach and Laura have four children. They have Ricky and Eli, and they have Cordelia, and they have Olivia. Ricky and Eli are their biological children. Cordelia and Olivia are children that they fostered and adopted. And Zach and Laura, they told me a little bit about their story. When they were dating, they knew that fostering and adoption was in their future. It was Laura's desire to have a big family. I think, to be quite honest with you, she wanted a little bigger family than Zach wanted at the start of the conversations. But she wanted a big family, and uh, Zach actually came from a family where his brother was adopted. And so that was kind of uh, part and parcel to his life. And so they wanted that to be a part of their their, uh, family life. And so several years ago... Uh, They kind of had this on their heart, and they were connected through a family relationship with a little girl who who they believed needed foster care. Her name was Cordelia. And so they began thinking and praying about what it would take for them to be in the foster care system so that they could uh, foster her and then maybe eventually adopt her. And they they were praying about it, and and as always, that's a huge decision. To think about fostering adoption is a big, big deal. And so they were praying about it and thinking about it, and they asked the Lord to give them some kind of direction. And and when when they got to church that week, Ebenezer Christian Children's Home, I either was the mission partner or we had a note in the bulletin that week about the fostering classes that were coming up that week, uh, near that week in in their lives. And on top of that, when they got to church that Sunday, they met Sherry Reeves, if you don't know Sherry, she's one of our church members, godly, godly lady, but she works at Ebenezer Christian Children's Homes. So it's like God aligned all of the things to let Zach and Laura know this is exactly what they were supposed to do. So they went through that foster class with in mind, making sure that they would give an opportunity for Cordelia to have a place. She had been in the foster system for three years. But when they finished that course, they got a phone call from Ebenezer, I believe, could have been DSS. If I, in any case, they got a phone call and said, there's a little baby who's experiencing failure to thrive. Would you open your home up to her? She's five months old. And uh, w- without talking to Zach, Laura said yes. And uh, when she talked to Zach, Laura said, or Zach said, absolutely, we need to do this. This is what God wants us to do. And so they put baby Olivia into their house and took care of her. Now here's what's awesome about this story. Several things that are awesome about this story. For years, Ricky in particular had been praying for a baby sister and praying for God to provide for them. And within a few short months, God opened the door for them to bring Olivia into their house and eventually adopt her. And not long after that, last year, September of 20, they were able to adopt baby Cordelia into their home, and a family of four became a family of six. Here's Laura in her own words. She asked this, what can we do in our community to make a difference? We can start with the children. There are so many children out there who need love and who need Jesus. It is so worth it for the child, and to be able to hold that child and give them a chance to know God is so worth it. 
To have an opportunity to be a light for a child is the best thing you could do as a parent. And tell you what Zach and Laura are doing for their family. They're getting their children to Jesus. All four of them. Exemplified this summer by their oldest coming to faith in Christ. I don't doubt at all that the other three are well on their way to becoming followers of Jesus because mom and dad are committed to getting their children to Jesus and not standing in the way of anybody. Let me give you a couple of pieces of application as we close up our service. Some of you today may need to consider fostering an adoption. I'm just going to, that's a big deal. That's probably the biggest application possibly to take away from this text. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. God has blessed us. God has taken care of us. God has met our needs. And, and we ought to be the means by which others can come to know Christ. Working with Department of Social Services, working with Ebenezer, working with the foster care system. If God's put that on your heart, don't ignore that little nudge. God may be opening a door for you to make a difference in a child's, hear this, Zach and Laura both use this word, a child's eternity. Not only are Cordelia and Olivia probably going to have a much better life with Zach and Laura than they would have otherwise, but they're going to have an opportunity to meet Jesus and have eternal life. Moms and dads, grandparents, some of you have some kids that you need to get to Jesus. Some of those are still in your home. Some of those are not in your home any longer. The application is the same. Whatever it takes, bring your kids to Christ. Tell them about Jesus. The best thing that you can do, the single best thing, is to pray that they will meet Jesus. Maybe some of you today need to come to this altar and pray that they will meet Jesus. Some of us need to explore our hearts. And maybe the invitation for us is to confess the idols that are keeping us from getting our kids to Jesus. And if that's you, I'm just going to be kind in saying this. Your idols are not worth the souls of your children. They're just not. And so if there's something that's in the way of you getting your children to Christ, would you confess it and repent of it and let God have it? so that your children can know Jesus and have an eternal relationship with Christ. Finally, let me say this. If you're a child here, or if you're an adult here, and you have not met Jesus yet, I want to tell you something. He welcomes you with open arms. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to change anything when you come to meet Him. He'll do the changing. You have to receive Him as Lord. Trust in Him to change your life. And guess what? He will. He will receive you if you will trust Him today. If that's you, I'd like you to come down at this invitation. Moms, dads, grandparents, this invitation for some of you is to pray. I know you've got some burdens on your hearts. Will you take them to the Lord? Will you trust your kids to the hands of Jesus? Stand with me if you will. Father, we love you. We love you more than life itself because you love us um, more than we deserve. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for a mom and dad who got me to you. I'm thankful for a mom who prayed for my soul and salvation. I'm thankful for the gospel that I heard over and over again. Thankful, Lord God, that you found me when I was lost and in need. Heavenly Father, many of us in this room are products of our parents making sure that we met Jesus. We ought to be grateful for that. And I pray, Lord, for those of us that are still responsible with children in our home, that you would help us to do whatever it takes to make sure that our kids hear about and know and love Jesus. Heavenly Father, 
some of us in this room, we have some idols in our hearts and lives, some things in the way, some things that we're holding on to that we value as more important than you, and that's keeping our family from Christ. And, and I pray that you'd forgive us for that. Bring us to a place of confession and repentance. Heavenly Father, maybe there's someone in the room. I pray that there are many over the course of the next several services that do need to open their homes for respite care, for fostering, for adoption. Pray, Heavenly Father, that You'd motivate us to be like You, to receive people into our relational spheres so that, Heavenly Father, they can meet and know You. Heavenly Father, keep us, change us, that we may not keep others from You. Deal with our own hearts and lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.